a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah Health. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Let's lock in. This is Unrivaled. Yes! Yes! The teams you live for. The sports you love. With Scott Mitchell and Alex Keurig. Presented by G2G Bars. On 97.5 The KSL Sports Zone. All righty, sports fans, welcome on in. It is Unrivaled 97.5 DKSL Sports Zone. Scott Mitchell, along with Jeremiah Jensen, filling in for the secretive Alex Curie, who's away on special assignment. Of course, JJ is with KSL TV. Uh, fun hour going on here. Um, we have Luke Easterling from USA Today's Draft Wire. That's going to be the cut. The other question. Undeniable, unrivaled. Top sports story of the hour. Here's what made the cut. All right, the cut brought to you by Trajan Wealth. Call Trajan Wealth today, your local trusted fiduciary. Uh, financial fiduciary 801-899-7600 or visit their website at trajanwealth.com also our show brought to you by g2g bars uh they're amazing they're preservative free they're full of good stuff uh you find them in your grocery store and everywhere else uh, you got to try them out they are amazing uh joining us on the program uh, right now is uh, luke easterling from usa today's draft wire of course the combine's going on how's it going luke Doing great. How are you? Oh, well, you know, we got a lot of snow here in Salt Lake City, and we're just kind of getting over it. But uh, other than that, life is good. So the Combine is happening this week. What is the what is the the most important thing? What is, what is the thing, the best thing that uh, teams get out of the Combine, and what do these players get out of it? Honestly, the most important things uh, at the Combine happen off-screen. They happen behind the scenes, right? It's the medical evaluations that happen down there, uh, and it's the the interviews. It's the private 15-minute one-on-ones that these teams get with these prospects. I think that um, combination has more to do with with draft stock and where these players end up going than really anything they do athletically uh, on the field. Obviously, there are some outliers if somebody runs a a 4-2-40 or somebody – 
uh, especially one of the quarterbacks and presses a lot during the, the drills or whatever you could have that. But, but really the most important things are done behind the scenes again with the medicals and the, uh, the, the private interviews with the teams. That's where they really, really where they learn a lot more about uh, who these players are. Uh, they get them on the whiteboard to go through plays and progressions and, and show them film and ask, Hey, what were you looking at here? What were you thinking here? Um, that type of stuff. So, the on-field drills are very important. Obviously, you know, for the players, you want to go out and, and there's certain benchmarks that you want to hit in each drill uh, based on your position, based on your size. Um, obviously, every every workout is not created equal. A, a certain 40-yard dash doesn't mean the same for a, a really small receiver that it does for a really big receiver and, and vice versa. So um, it's just an opportunity, much like the Senior Bowl and the other All-Star games, it, it's an opportunity for players to kind of showcase their athleticism comparatively to the rest of their peers in this class. And obviously that means for the teams, it's an opportunity to see all of those guys in one place doing the same drills, compare their numbers, compare the athleticism and how they look in those drills. And like I said, also behind the scenes, get accurate medical information on them uh, and, and meet with them behind closed doors and see what they're about. So Luke, I went to the combine and I, I was medically examined. And I haven't been the same since. Like, they poked in every orifice <laughs> hole and everything. They told me things about me medically that I had no idea that happened. And I, it was it was a horrific experience. So I hear you. Uh, but, man, it was it was traumatizing. When what I were they doing it. in the combine 30 years ago, Scott? Uh, well, it was ancient. Jeez. You know, they used, actually, they told me that I had two separated shoulders. They go, when did you separate your shoulder? And I go, I've never done that. And they, they're like, well, your your x-rays actually show that you, oh, wow. at some point, and they said, you know, sometimes it happens when you're born, like, and it's just something you, you kind of carry with you your whole life. So I, that's what I learned about myself. Well, there you go. Well, from one quarterback that played in the league to the next generation of quarterbacks, I'm curious about the quarterbacks in this draft. I wanted to get your thoughts on which quarterback has the most to gain and the most to lose this week at the NFL Combine. Yeah, well, Scott, to speak to your point, I want to make it clear that I think the process is, has always been way too invasive, and I think <laughs> this goes to some of, some of the recent – I'm dead serious, too. I think that a lot of it has been unnecessary, and we go back to some of the changes we've seen with the, the Senior Bowl and the Shrine Game where you know some of the measurements and the way they do things aren't as uh, publicly available as they used to be, and I know that's because a lot of people, not just the players but the media as well, became uncomfortable with the process for a lot of reasons. So I think there are ways of, of getting information and, and the teams getting what they need to know in more effective ways that I think don't, uh, don't do those things to players like they've done in the past. I think there's a way better way to go about it, and hopefully they're going to continue, I think, as the players get more say in these things uh, to move things in the right direction where, it, where it's better for everybody, to speak to your point. But in terms of the, the quarterbacks, I think honestly, if you look at who's got much to gain and much to lose, it's always you know, if you're if you have a lot to lose, that means you're already at the top of the the food chain, right? So if you're talking about Bryce Young from Alabama, he's got the most to lose if teams are concerned about his size, right? Because you know he's listed at six foot one ninety five. We all know what the word listed means in this business, uh, not very much. And usually this time of year is when you find out how big these guys really are. Um, obviously, Todd McShay from ESPN mentioning the other day that. Um, there's reports that he's, you know, Bryce Young's closer to five ten and a half. Wow. I get it. I understand there's probably going to be some teams that that is not a, that's not good enough for them. But for me, it's hard for me to watch the tape that we've seen over the last two years from Bryce Young. And now that he's five ten and a half instead of six foot, now I'm out on him. I, I just couldn't bring myself to do that. I, I don't think it's that big of a deal, especially because he's just so good. 
at everything else. Um, so the only, the only way Bryce Young has anything to lose is just from teams who are going to have certain thresholds and they're going to be like, you know what, we just can't, we can't do it. We can't have a 5'10 quarterback. It doesn't work. And that's going to be their loss, in my opinion. If you're picking in the top 10 and you don't pick Bryce Young because he's 5'10 instead of six foot, I think you're going to regret that decision for a long, long time. Uh, in terms of who has the most to gain, I think it's two of those other quarterbacks in that kind of second tier. I'd say Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud are in their own tier. Uh, and after that, it's Will Levis from Kentucky, Anthony Richardson from Florida. These guys are both athletic, upside traits guys, right? The, the film there has a, you know, a lot of question marks, the accuracy, the decision-making. They're great athletes, great competitors, tons of potential, and this is the type of event that those guys should crush, right? You're going to go out there in, in shorts and a T-shirt. You're going to be able to wow people with your athleticism and whip the ball around the field with no defense, and, and you should look great. So those guys should have an opportunity to impress teams in that way. It's just going to come down to if, if they feel like that matches the film and they can fall in love with those traits in spite of the inconsistencies they've seen on film. So those quarterbacks should take advantage of this and have a big week. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. You know, Anthony Richardson, of course, played Utah at the, the beginning of the season and, and was fairly impressive. You know, certainly athletically looks a lot like uh, Cam Newton. Um, what is it about him? Well, I guess what... You know, I was a little surprised that he came out in the draft Shocked, this year, actually. and uh, um, you know why? You know, I, I I guess, and you've seen, you know, I guess Jamarcus Russell. There's there's enough guys that have kind of been busts. Uh, what what would be um, a hesitation for a team to look at a player and, and take someone like uh, Anthony Richardson? I think the hesitation is is just inconsistency as as a thrower sometimes. Sometimes the accuracy wasn't there. Um, but honestly, I, I like Anthony Richardson a bit more than Will Levis. I think Will Levis had some question marks in 2021 that coming into 2022 we wanted to see fixed, and he didn't really get fixed. He was very much the same player. Um, still had some of the same flaws, same decision-making issues. Richardson had a very inconsistent start to the season, but I feel like too many people kind of wrote him off after a couple of bad games. Um, after that Utah game, he, he didn't look great against USF, had another couple of bad games. But the, down the stretch, he really started to progress as a passer in particular. And he had a, quite a few reps where he showed off really great interior pocket presence, right, where things are getting muddy and there's action all around him. And he's having to shift his base a bunch of different times before he lets the ball go. He's not just taking off and running even though he can. That's the stuff you want to see from him. So I think in terms of the uh, – in, of the concerns, obviously, it's just the consistency. In terms of, you know, you mentioned Jamarcus Russell. I, I think the flip side of that will be teams could have said all these same things about Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen when they were coming out because of the inconsistencies they had, but they banked on those those tools and those traits, and obviously you're reaping the benefits. It doesn't work for everybody, and obviously coaching and where you land and your, your supporting cast has a lot to do with the success at the next level. But team, the team that convinces themselves to spend a top 10 pick on Anthony Richardson will do so because they see a 6-4, 4-4 speed rocket arm and says, you know what, I can't teach that stuff. I can teach him the rest, get him in the building, and, and we'll see what we can do. 
Luke Easterling from USA Today's Draft Wire is our guest. I, I want to shift gears to the cornerback position. Clark Phillips III out of Utah is a player we've covered here, and he had an amazing career at Utah, and now we're excited to see where he ends up in the NFL draft. And But there's a lot of cornerbacks, Luke, that are in this draft and high-quality qu- cornerbacks. Is is Clark going to be a first-round guy, or is it, where, where is he at in the pecking order there in your mind? Yeah, it's a very, very deep class at the top uh, for the corners. Again, I think there's probably six to eight guys uh, that if they went in the first round, I'd be completely fine uh, with that. And, and Clark Phillips is one of those guys, one of my favorite players in the draft overall. Um, just wow. a guy without really any flaws. I, I think I love the way he plays the game. He can play inside. He can play in the slot. Um, he's very tough. He tackles well. So when you do put him in the slot, you can count on him and run support. Again, the, the closer you put that guy to the line of scrimmage, the closer you put him to the box, he's got to be tough. He's got to hang uh, against the run. He's got to bite off blocks. He's got to make tackles. Feel like he does all that at a great at a great level. Great instincts, ball skills to make big plays. He's kind of similar to Bryce Young to me in that there are going to be some teams that look at him and think, oh, he's, he's going to be too small for what he needs at corner. He's just too too good at everything else. I don't I don't see why you wouldn't spend a first round pick on him again. I think the only reason that doesn't happen is if teams convince themselves, hey, there's a bunch of other good corners in this class who do have the size or the length that we're looking for. We're going to go in a different direction. Obviously, Devon Witherspoon from uh, from Illinois, Christian Gonzalez from uh, from Oregon, the Colorado transfer, Joey Porter Jr. from Penn State, Deontay Banks from Maryland, Julius Brent from Kansas State, Keely Ringo from Georgia. There's so many guys. Um, Emmanuel Forbes from Mississippi State. They, again, six to eight corners that could easily go in the first round. If Clark Phillips isn't one of them, somebody's going to get a heck of a steal on day two. They really are. What I loved about Clark is – uh, you know, he was so good at being in the right position. And, you know, so he had a great angle to the ball, and he was so good at closing. Uh, he earned every interception he got. You know, it wasn't like he got a gift pass. or I mean, the interceptions he had were he earned them, and he, he made great, you know, great acceleration and drive to the, to the football. And, and and he made a lot of big plays, you know, a lot of pick sixes this year and, 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 and even in his career. So, uh, really interesting. Another guy that's intriguing to me here locally is Jaron Hall, quarterback at, at BYU. And, of course, Zach mm-hmm. Wilson a couple of years ago went number two in the draft. And um, does 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 Zach Wilson hurt or help Jalen or Jaron Hall? And where, 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 where do you fall with, with Jaron Hall and where he is? And, and can he do anything in the combine to help himself? Yeah, well, another quick note on Clark Phillips real quick. Everything you just described, I'm down in the Tampa area. There was a guy down here who played in the slot who everybody thought was too small, but because of his instincts and because of his ability to be around the ball all the time, he just got inducted to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Rondé Barber. So obviously it's a lofty comparison, but you look at those tools, you look at how he wins, and it's easy to see some comparisons there and see a guy that, that could overcome the lack of size. In terms of Jaron Hall, um, I think he's got everything in front of him, right? We talked about the four quarterbacks at the top, and nobody really – disputes that for the most part. But after that, it's kind of a wild card, right? I think Hendon Hooker from Tennessee would be the next guy in theory, but you're talking about a guy who's coming off a late-season ACL tear, and he's going to be a 25-year-old rookie. So how does that impact his draft stock uh, in terms of being an early-round pick? Other than that, it's really anybody's guess how the next few quarterbacks would come off the board. Uh, Tanner McKee from Stanford. Um, there's a couple other guys in that range, maybe Jake Hayner from, from Fresno State. He's another guy that's smaller. I mean, Jaron Hall, the film shows, again, a guy with size, arm strength. He's got enough athleticism. He can make plays downfield. Those are great deep ball. The combine is perfect for a guy like him to go out 
and impress people with, with what he can do and, and take advantage of that void in the quarterback class where nobody after that first four, maybe even five guys, um, teams, teams that miss out on all those guys are still going to have to fill the roster out, right? They're still going to have to take a chance on a guy on maybe early on day three and say, hey, this guy's got the tools. He's got the, the mental makeup to be a success at the next level. If we can develop him, if he comes in as a third or fourth round pick, there's a lot less pressure. Maybe he becomes that diamond in the rough. We see it often enough, not super often, but often enough where the, the right quarterback, regardless of where he's drafted, ends up in the right spot with the right offense. Maybe somebody gets hurt and he gets an opportunity. Jaron Hall has all the tools to be successful. And again, with the, such a void in that second tier of quarterbacks, a, a good combine could launch him into that conversation to be the next guy off the board. Um, there, we, there are some other players that, uh, of course, here locally. Uh, Dalton Kincaid, uh, tight end, he's another guy that we think a lot of here. And and Tavion Thomas, he was a, he was a, another player at Utah. I'm, I'm just curious what you th- you know people Dalton, here locally. You know, Scott, I was going to say Dalton's kind of getting a lot of first round me- um, yeah, mentions, um, which I think is really interesting. And I, I was I was curious what Luke thought of Dalton Kincaid too. Yeah, the the tight end class feels a lot like the quarterback class, and that mm. there's there's four or five guys at the top that really could could contend to go in the first round. Kincaid's one of them. Um, and again, I think from what I've heard from from the people I know, either close to the league or within the league, they think he's the best pure pass catching tight end in this class. Right. Mm. So wow. um, I know a uh, couple of big name analysts that do what I do. Daniel Jeremiah from NFL Network loves him. Um, has him, uh, I think, is his best tight end in the draft. It's really going to be how those tight ends come off the board is going to be fit, right? Who, what team needs what type of tight end? How does that fit in their scheme? Do they guy, need a guy who's going to block more often and be kind of a well-rounded guy? Do they need a pass rush, uh, pass catching specialist? Um, but if, if Dalton Kincaid's the first tight end off the board, it wouldn't shock me at all. Wouldn't even shock me if he's a top twenty pick if the team and the fit is right. Um, but he, he's just so fluid as a pass catcher. Uh, again, you go back to some of the tight ends that have had athleticism and size and, and length, and, and those things help you as a receiver. But if you not, if you don't naturally catch the ball well, none of that really helps. You've got to just be able to catch the football really well. It sounds so simple, but it's true. Uh, and Dalton Kincaid just makes it easy for his quarterbacks. And, and I think he's got enough size, enough athleticism. I think he's willing enough as a blocker. But really, you're just you're drafting him to be a weapon in the passing game. And I, I think again, he he could easily be the first tight end off the board. And that's saying something because Darnell Washington from Georgia, Michael Mayer from uh, from Notre Dame, um, you got Luke Musgrave from Oregon State, Tucker Craft from South Dakota State. You got a, a really heavy top here, top tier of tight ends this year. But but Kincaid could easily be the first off the board. It's it's fascinating to me how the tight end positions just changed. Yeah, wow. And yeah. how it's become such an important. You know, you're talking about um, the the importance of a you know tight ends in the first round. Um, really quick before we let you go here, Luke, I'm, I'm curious about I've, I've, I've heard reports that that this isn't a super strong draft, that maybe there's not, you know, 32 guys that are, have first ground first round grades. I was just curious about what your your general assessment of this strength of this draft is. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, very rarely, if ever, is there a draft with 32 first-round grades. I think, you know, depending on what team you go look at their board, you might get anywhere from 15 to 23, 24 on a given year, um, which is why towards the back of the first round, you you see a lot of teams willing to trade down, right? Because if all of your first-round grades are gone, you want to move down and get second-round grade players in the second round. You don't want to take them in the first round if you don't have to. So I think at the top of the draft, there is – 
you know, there's the quarterbacks, which kind of are their own section because the value is skewed because that position is so important. So you have the four quarterbacks we talked about earlier. Those are guys who are going to be first-round picks. You've got Jalen Carter from Georgia, the defensive lineman. You've got Will Anderson, the edge from uh, from Alabama, the pass rusher. Those two guys, I think, would be in the conversation for the, for the Bears at one if they stay there, which I don't think they will. But in terms of being the best overall player in the draft, I think those are the two kind of elite prospects outside of the quarterbacks. After that, I feel like the next tier of players is really thick, is really long, and, and the guys that will be coming off the board at five, six, seven aren't going to be terribly different in terms of talent than the guys that will be coming off the board at 15, 20, and 25, especially depending on the position you pick, corner, tight end. Some of those those spots are really, really deep. Um, so I, I think in, in terms of overall talent, it doesn't feel like a super top-heavy draft. Um, so if you're a team that's maybe picking a little bit later but picking more often, again, the, the second day is where teams really love to stock up on picks because second and third round, that's when you catch the talent that falls through the cracks and also get the best value in terms of getting a player that's really not that far removed from a guy that went, you know, went around earlier. And I think that's the case with this class. Hey, uh, thank you for joining us today. Great stuff. Uh, Luke Easterling from USA Today's Draft Wire. We're going to take another break here, and uh, we're going to go listen to, I guess, traffic, because it's that time of day, right? 5.30, folks driving home. Could be snowing, maybe not, but uh, uh, we'll let you know. Uh, after that, we got, of course, our NFL Roundup. This is Unrivaled 97.5 DKSL Sports Zone. And now, a look at traffic from the KSL Traffic Center. Time for a check of traffic on 97.5 the KSL Sports Zone. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.